0: today's message from Harvest Church of God. You see, when Adam went to a fig tree, he was looking for leaves. When Jesus goes to a fig tree, he's looking for fruit. As God, he said, I am the bread of life. As a man, he said, I thirst. But as God, he said, if any man shall drink of the water that I shall give him, he shall never thirst again. As a man, He stood at the tomb of a friend and wept. But as God, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity one more time this side of eternity to stand in this sacred place and deliver your word. For 34 years, I have taken this charge to, from this pulpit, proclaim the Word of God, I ask you, O Lord, that this morning you would do something special among us. I pray that as we lay ourselves bare before your Word, that your Word would convict us, instruct us, inspire us, lead us, guide us, direct us. Touch us, O Lord, as only you can through the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Jesus is nearing what he called my hour. My hour has come. And he informs the disciples on the way up the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, about 60 miles, walking by foot, and they're ascending to Mount Zion. And Jesus said, For the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, and be killed, and be crucified, and will suffer many things. Peter, that great apostle that I quote so much and at times I'm so proud of, sometimes I just want to stand up and cheer when he steps out of the bow of the boat and begins walking on water. I want to say, way to go. Praise God. Eleven of them stayed in the boat. Peter got out and said, Jesus, whatever you're doing, I want to do it too. Peter said, you're doing the impossible. You're walking on water. I want to do something that is impossible. And Jesus said one word to him. You remember what it was? Peter said, bid me come unto thee. And Jesus said, come. You mean God is happy when we try impossible things? Well, that's exactly what faith is. faith believes God for the impossible. Faith isn't believing God for something you can do. It's believing God for something you cannot do. It's believing that without God's help, it's impossible. That's what faith is. And God is so keen on that that He says to us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You mean God loves for us from time to time to try something impossible? Do you mean that in our walk with the Lord that he is most glorified and we are are most blessed when we step out there on a prayer or a promise and take a stance of faith upon something? That he's proud of us? I'm telling you that's exactly the scenario. He loves it when you try something that you can't do any other way but through him. But through Christ, I can do All things. That means impossible things also. That means that through Jesus Christ I can accomplish the impossible. And God is happy when I do that. Peter stepped out of that bow of the boat and began walking to Jesus. And you know the story. When he saw the wind and he saw the waves and he realized what's happening here, it scared him to death. And the Bible said he began to sink have you ever had a sinking feeling <laughs> has your faith ever experienced the sink but he prayed you remember what he prayed Lord save me and the Bible said and Jesus reached down. I'm so glad that he reaches down when we're sinking I'm glad that when we've opened our mouth and tried something impossible and it's not working out he'll come to our aid and our rescue and pick us up amen i'm glad we have a god like that don't you that he comes to our rescue when we try things that are impossible that doesn't work out that he doesn't get mad at us he just reaches down picks us back up boy i I wanted to cheer for him when jesus said what do men say about me who do people say that i am and they offered different opinions some say thou are Isaiah. some say jeremiah's And Jesus simply said, who do you say that I am? And brother, here's one of those cheering times. Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, boy, that's a wonderful saying. You got it right because that's what I'm going to build my church upon is that profession of faith, that positive assertion that I am the Son of God. And I wish I could tell you that all of Peter's speeches and all of Peter's opinion offering was faithful and something you could cheer for, but not always. He's the one that warmed by the fires of the dissenters around the house of Caiaphas. You remember, he's the one that swore to the little girl. The little girl said, I know you. You're a Galilean. You're with him. You're one of his disciples. And he swore and cursed and said, I don't even know that man. And you could probably feel that Jesus would have learned his lesson, don't trust Peter. He'll fail you when you need him the most. But when Jesus appeared to the women after his resurrection, he said, go and tell Peter and the disciples. Make sure you tell Peter that I am not dead. I am risen indeed. Oh, And then this birthday of the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when this whole concept of a, a new covenant and a new testament And who is it that's chosen to preach the very first sermon on Inauguration Day? Peter. That loud-talking, opinionated, can't depend on him 100% of the time, guy was the one that preached the message on Pentecost Day. And 3,000 souls, the Bible said, were added that day, saved, baptized one to God Peter on the way from Jericho up to Jerusalem Jesus makes this revelation guys it's going to be tough when we get to Jerusalem and I heard someone say well we told you not to go there anyway we don't need to go to Jerusalem you know that they hate you there and those Pharisees they're laying in wait for you and everybody there is is angry about you and angry towards you we don't need to go that's a bad decision and Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem. I must, my hour is come. It's time for me to do what I was sent to this earth to do. I will be delivered into the hands of sinners. I'll be betrayed. I'll be beaten. I'll be smitten. My side will be riven. I'll be crucified. And Peter, the Bible said, took the Lord aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, this is not one of those times we cheer for you. How in the world do you have the gall and the gumption to take Jesus aside and rebuke him? You were on the boat when he said to the winds and the waves, nestle down there. And the Bible said there was a great calm. You were on the boat when you woke him up and he said, peace be still. You were were there when he spat on the ground and put the, Clay on the eyes of the blind man in John 9, and he came back seeing. You were there at the house when your mother-in-law was dying and dead, and Jesus healed her, and she got up and cooked your supper. You were on the road. You were with him when he stopped the uh, funeral procession over at Nain. You were in earshot. You heard him say to that young boy, get up from that cot. And the Bible said he got up and was resurrected. You were there, and you're going to take that person aside and begin rebuking him? And Jesus said the strongest words that he ever said to anybody. Gave him the greatest amount of praise when he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. But he also gave him the greatest condemnation. He said, Get thee behind me, Satan! For thou savorest not the things of God, he said. Jesus, the Bible said, set his face like a flint. He was carrying out what God had planned and programmed for him. He was following the instructions to the hilt. He wasn't just ambling along. He with purpose was on his way to do at God's time, at God's place, with time... God's will being done, he was in perfect agreement with God's purpose for his life. And he was walking up that, that road. And he got to Bethany. Those of you who've been with me to Jerusalem know that Bethany is about two or three miles away from uh, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And he came to the home of some people that he loved. And uh, he'd been told that there was a situation there that was really, really bad what was it death had visited that home and Lazarus the brother of Martha and Mary was dead and you know the story that Martha came out and and she said uh, Mary is in the house she's doing all these other things and and uh, she was at the feet of Jesus no the whole scenario was about Jesus being the resurrection and the life And the Bible said that Jesus, they said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, I am am the resurrection and the life. If anybody believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. And the Bible said that when Jesus went to to the sepulcher where he was buried, the shortest verse in the Bible, if you ever had scripture scramble or you ever had a had a question and answer. Here's the best one, shortest verse in the Bible, John six thirty seven. Jesus wept, and you had to get that one first on Friday nights YPE service. If you were gonna, if you're gonna win the, the question, you will. You had better get better get that one while you can. Second one's pray without ceasing. Third one's rejoice evermore. But you can go a long time on those two worders, can't you? But Jesus said something and he was very specific. Had he not been specific, he would have emptied the whole graveyard. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible said, he came out of that grave with his grave clothes on, and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Praise God, loose him and let him go. And the Bible said they enjoyed their visit together, and such began the proceedings of what we call Passion Week. And we know about Sunday. What was Sunday? Palm Sunday? That's next Sunday. Palm Sunday, and we have what we call the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry. That's when the people pulled down the palm branches and put them in the way, and Jesus uh, rode on the uh, donkey. And that's a great story right there. When Jesus told the disciples, said, go into the city... And said, you'll find a, a, a donkey there and her colt will be there. And they'll both be tied to the hitching post. And said, go ahead and loose them and start leading them away. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, say, the master hath need of him. Notice the symbolism right there. I love this stuff, Joey. Notice the symbolism right there. You got something old. Tied up to a hitching post where you got something new. And what we've got here is two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and Jesus is tied to both. Jesus, you you can prick the Word of God anywhere you want to in all of its books, and it'll bleed. I said it'll bleed anywhere you prick the Word of God whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, when you prick the Word of God, it'll bleed. And the Old Testament, Jesus, is is, is a promise. He He is God's answer to the dilemma. He's the permanent answer. The Levitical system was a temporary system. It was never intended that the Levitical system and tabernacle worship and the temple should be eternal, be everlasting. God's will and God's purpose was that it was temporary. It would indulge. It would atone for. Now, atonement is a New Testament word, but it's only one. In Romans 5 and 11, you see the word atonement, and it, that's the only place that it appears in the whole New Testament. Just one place. Romans 5 11, which says, We have now received the atonement. Most Bible scholars agree that it was, could be better translated, We have now received the Reconciliation. Because atonement means to cover up, to hide, to seclude, sweep it under the rug. Well, Jesus did not come into the world to sweep anything under the rug. Uh, Jesus did not come into the world to hide anything. He didn't put uh, our sins in a, a time capsule somewhere to deal with them later. No, Jesus came to do the permanent work. With our sins and the permanent job of dealing with the the humanity and sin that is in our nature when John looked up from baptizing on the bank he said behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world not hide them not indulge them but take them out of the way. Wow, isn't that a wonderful wonderful verse? So we see this analogy of Jesus being the Lamb. Now all of Jerusalem is gathered, all of Jewish people all over the uh, continent is gathered for this Passover because God said every year, said you remember that when the death angel passed over, that I made a provision for you, and it was by blood laid upon the door lintel. Now Jesus then has become that sacrificial lamb for us, that he was placed upon that altar, and his blood was shed so that we could have eternal redemption, so that we could have forgiveness of sin, so that we could escape the awfulness of the curse. So as Jesus is beginning this week, and after the Sunday of having the Hoshanah, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, after all of that praise and all of that worship and the grand parade, on Monday, Jesus went to town. And when Jesus went to town, he went to the temple. And what he saw in the temple moved him greatly. In so much... That he platted a whip. And he took the whip and he chased the money changers out of the temple. He overturned the tables with the money. He told them, he said, do away and destroy. All of this this stuff that you're doing here. You've made my my house a house of merchandise. And he said that my house is a house of prayer. And you've made it unto a den of thieves. You see, money can be gathered up again. And it can be put back on the table. No harm done. take the cows away, you can bring the cows back, no harm done. The doves, he said, and take the doves away. If he had released the doves, they would have been gone and somebody would have suffered some injury. Jesus always rebukes without injury. Jesus knows how to correct without injury. He didn't say kill the birds or let the birds away, let them out of their cages, let them go. No, He just said take them away. You see, the Bible said He is so gentle that a limber stalk, a flax, He said He, he, he won't bruise it. It talks about the wick of a candle. There'll be small he won't snuff it out. In other words, Jesus comes to do you good. Jesus comes to, to make things better for you. Jesus comes to help and to bless and enhance your life and make your life better. Praise God. So he gets through with that cleansing of the temple. Boy, that was a day's work, wasn't it? I heard somebody say you better plan about a week if he's going to clean up. Man, oh, I understand. And one day he went back to Bethany and he's back at Bethany and he's enjoying being with his friends but he knows he's got to go back. Got to go back to Jerusalem because all prophets do what they do in Jerusalem. So he was intending to go. The next morning he got up and left without breakfast. You say he left without breakfast. Yep. He left without breakfast. How do you know that, pastor? Because he said the first thing that come along, he was going to get something to eat. And the Bible said the first thing he saw was what? A fig tree. A fig tree. Let's read it in Matthew chapter 21. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned unto the city, He hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. Somebody say, leaves only. And he said to that fig tree, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is that fig tree withered away? And now we start considering Jesus, who was every bit human and every bit God. He did not lose any of his attributes as deity. He did not lose any of his power. He was every bit God and he was every bit man. As a man, the Bible said, he hungered. As God, he said, I am the bread of life. As a man, he said, I thirst. But as God, he said, if any man shall drink of the water that I shall give him, he shall never thirst again. As a man... He stood at the tomb of a friend and wept. But as God, he said, Lazarus, come forth. He was every bit God, every bit man. And as he hungered, he saw, the Bible said he was afar off. Mark's gospel said he was quite a distance from seeing that fig tree. Now, anything that has an opportunity to be of service to God, whether it's a donkey or whether it is a fig to eat, whatever it is that has opportunity to be used by God and to be a blessing, boy, what a wonderful event that is and how precious and how valued that should be to every one of us. Because in a sense, every one of us in this room today is a fig tree. And I want to ask you, are you leaves only? Or are you fruit bearing? Is there something in your life that God can use? Or are you just leaves only? You see, a fig tree is a very unique plant, especially in Pala- Palestine, that particular strain of fig trees. In fact, that fig tree put out fruit before it ever put out leaves. In actuality, the the foliage followed the fruit. The fruit preceded the foliage. In other words, those little green buds out there on the end of that stem of a fig tree was already forming a little bulb there of a new fig, before leaves ever came into the equation. So the trained, observing person knew that by the time the leaves get here, buddy, the fruit ought to be ready. And Jesus looked up and saw a lot of leaves. He could see it from afar off. Mark said he was quite a distance away, but he could see that that tree had a lot of leaves. So it is... Mine, he must have assumed when I get to that tree close enough, you're going to find a lot of fruit because the leaves have already come on that thing. But when he got closer to examine, he found out that there were leaves only, no fruit. Couldn't be a benefit to God. Couldn't be a blessing to the Son of Man. Couldn't be used by God because it was leaves only. You see, leaves only represents the the outward things that we do, the decoration, the the foliage, the things that accompany fruit. We know that great verse, that paragraph there of great verses in Psalm 1, don't you? Remember that one? Blessed is the man that sitteth not in the council of the ungodly. Standeth the way of the sinner, walketh in the way of the sinner, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His leaves shall put forth in season. In other words, there's a a time, there's a season. And the Bible says here that it was not the time for the figs. Wow. So this particular tree had got a wild nature and thought it would run ahead of all the other trees and disregard the time and go ahead and put the leaves on so it would look good but it didn't have what it was supposed to have. Now, here's here's the picture of Israel now. This whole week is about Jesus dealing with Israel, about Jesus dealing with all of their ritual and all their ceremony and all of their pomp and all of their their, uh, 365 tassels on the bottom of their prayer shawl and the phylactery that has the Word of God in it, and the leather that goes around your arm that you bind yourself with the Word of God. All of that. Good Jewish people knew all of that. And what Jesus was saying is, you've got a form of godliness, but deny the power. you got leaves. You look pretty. That priest has got that linen garment on, got that breastplate of, Righteousness, and he's got those emeralds for the twelve tribes of Israel—the rubies and the diamonds and the gold and all the things—and you look good. You look good. Now that wasn't something Jesus occasionally did. He did it quite often. In fact, he called them one time "whited sepulchers." Uh, what is a whited sepulcher? Well, you know what a sepulcher is—grave. Well, they had very ornamental graves. Those of you that have been with me to the tomb of David, those of you that have been with me to various tombs that we'd go and see, boy, they're elaborate. But Jesus said, let me tell you what you Levites and scribes are like. You're like whited sepulchers. You look good on the outside, but on the inside you're... Full of filth and dead men's bones. Corruption. So, that drawing that analogy between outside and inside, close inspection versus seeing from afar off. Do you know people that look good from afar off? But if you get close enough, you'll find out their leaves only. You know, people that, that they, they love to give off this how holy I am, how righteous I am, how spiritual I am, how I can faster than a speeding bullet and leap tall buildings. I'm a spiritual superman. And everybody just sees that and you think, wow, wow. And sometimes I hear you say, oh, I wish I could be like him. I wish I could be like her. Well, that is what has got us in a pretty good mess at times because people that had a lot of leaves made a lot of trouble for us all when we found out they had no fruit. What fruit are you looking for? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long suffering faith and patience and temperance. And those nine graces are what God is looking for in people's lives. But sometimes the foliage is so great that the fruit can't be found. Actually, there is a tree that is in England. It's called, the, the strangely enough, the forest tree, the Newport tree. It's a, it's a tree that's got its seasons all mixed up. It's a famous tree. And it's got its seasons all messed up. At Christmas time, when all of the other trees of its kind, uh, oak I think it is, it has no fruit about it, has no foliage about it. It's just barren. You know how trees look in the wintertime. But that tree at Christmas time, every year at Christmas time, buddy, it lights up like a Christmas tree. Buddy, it starts putting out leaves. It gets so messed up that it don't know what time it is. And that, that tree is so famous and You see, the Bible said that tree that is planted by the rivers of water, it putteth forth its leaves in season. It's true to its nature. It's true to who it is. You know, the Bible said, Jesus said this, I am the vine. You are branches. And listen to this. And every branch that in me bears fruit, the Father prunes it. Well, here we've got a, a branch that is already producing And Jerry, we're going to start cutting on it. Why does the Father prune branches that already have fruit? The Bible said, so that it may bear more fruit. But he said, the branches that have no fruit, that are just leaves, he takes them, the Bible said, they fall off, they dry up, and the Bible said, and men gather them up and put them in the fire and use them for fuel. Why does God not do something about branches that don't bear fruit? Why does he just let them dry up and fall off? Because every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Wow. What he's talking about is relationship. I want to ask you something. If you didn't have the fruit in your life right now, would you still be a tree? If those things that decorate your life, the ornamental things, the house, the cars, the money in the bank, the titles, all of the things... If you didn't have the fruit, would you still be a tree? What Jesus is asking here in this pruning process about pruning fruit-bearing trees is sometimes we go through these tests about about our our fruit-bearing. And sometimes something we thought was great fruit suddenly gets pruned out. But you go on singing, you go on coming to church, you keep on teaching your class, keep on singing your song, keep on playing your instrument, you keep on doing what you feel like God wants you to do. Just because some fruit went away, that don't mean that you're not going to be a tree anymore. Hallelujah! So what God is asking, He's asking, if, if it wasn't for the fruit, would you still serve me? And on down in that 15th chapter of St. John, it says, now that I know, now that I know that you will serve me with your heart, not because of what I give you and what I do for you and the things I put in your life, you'll serve me and you'll love me and you'll worship me because of who I am and what I've done for you. And now that I know that, the Bible said, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. And Jesus said, I will call you no more what? Servants? I will call you no more servants. From henceforth, I will call you friends. Because a servant does not know what his Lord is doing. Wow. But now that I know that you love me, not because of what I do for you, but and what I give you, but because of who I am, now that I know that, he said, I can reveal to you the things of the Father, and I can let you in on some things that isn't for everybody else's consumption. Praise God. You see, when when you're full of leaves and have no fruit, you're just playing a game of deceit You're just trying to trick people into thinking that you're really got it going on. But it's deceitful. It's actually, what did the Bible call it, a refuge of lies? A refuge of lies. In other words, to cover up the real truth would just leave all over the place. I once knew of a guy that saw angels out of his right eye, and devils out of his left eye. He put big devils back in a Sunday school room, and he put little devils in the trash can. Angels rode on the right bumper of his car. Wow. And I won't tell you the end of that story because... He, let me just say it this way. He was a lot of leaves. A <laughs> lot of leaves. Pull the leaves away and there's nothing there. One of our biggest battles to fight is authenticity. One of our biggest battles is integrity. One of our biggest battles is to be what this Word instructs us to be. Well, I'm getting close to quitting, so I better land this plane. Two people. Who is the first Adam? He's the father of us all, isn't he? He is the man that God made, that God breathed into his nostrils. The breath of life, and he became a living soul. And God said, be at home in this garden rule over it, subdue it, name everything, and just be in charge of this whole world. And God said, I'll come down every afternoon, and we'll walk, and we'll have fellowship, and we'll enjoy one another's company. And that was the practice. Until one day a slimy, slithering serpent slithered his way into the garden and slimed the first couple. The message was, don't believe God. God's Word is not true. He says the day you eat this tree you'll die, but you shall not surely die. In that day that you eat that fruit, you'll become a God like Him, and God's playing a trick on you so He can keep you subdued. Because He knows that you can be equal to Him if you'll just eat that tree can you believe that the devil was preaching that kind of stuff you thought that stuff was just recent no that stuff's been going on forever and the bible said that when god came down to the appointment he said where are you adam first question god ever asked a man where are you and he said i am hid And God said, why are you hid? He said, because I'm naked. And Jesus, or God, said, who told you you were naked? He said, I've just got this feeling of shame. And I've just got this feeling of condemnation. And Jesus said, what did you do? He said, I went to a fig tree. And I found on that fig tree some leaves. And I took those leaves and I sewed them together and made me a garment so I could hide. And God said, you can't stay here. You see, when Adam went to a fig tree, he was looking for leaves. When Jesus goes to a fig tree... He's looking for fruit. Stand with me, please. I hope that as we start this, we're in Lent right now. And then we'll go into the Passion Week next Sunday. And yes, we'll take another day in the life of, of Jesus that week. And we'll talk some more about what He was doing, but it the whole nuance of that notion is about the new covenant. How that the temple and the tabernacle worship and the Levitical system served its function. But now there's a new and living way. There's a Jesus who came into the world to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am chief. And every one of us, as you go about your activities this week, Don't forget, Jesus is looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit. Don't cover it over with leaves. If Jesus comes up to your fruit tree looking for fruit, say, help yourself, Jesus. Help yourself. I am proud that I can be of service. I'm glad that I can be on the way here. I'm glad that I I am on your journey, that you happened to see me from afar off and stopped to examine and found some fruit on my branches. Lord, let there be fruit on my branches. Lord, let there be fruit in my life. Let there be fruit in my prayer. And I don't need the leaves to cover anything up. God, you do the fruit before the foliage. And let my life be fruitful. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in your house today. Thank you for the many people that are watching by television, by online, and website. I thank you for them today. And I ask you, O oh Lord, as they've heard this gospel message, that something that was said will touch and enrich their life. I pray that you'd go with us now, O oh Lord, as we leave this place of worship and we go out into the world to be light and salt. I pray that you would use us as fruit and use us, O oh God. May we bless other people's lives and may we contribute and make, make a difference in somebody's life, O oh Lord. And may this time of Passion Week and Easter and all the story of the resurrection be so real in our lives that we would understand we have a commitment to this world and we're debtors to all men to share with them the good news that Jesus is right for whatever's wrong. Dismiss us in your care in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and everybody said amen.